Sometimes you get lucky and your game is an instant hit without investing in growth. For everyone else, there's IronSource. IronSource is a game tech company which builds technologies that helps you guys take your games to the next level. The company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is the perfect partner for you. We here at Deconstructor Fund are giant fans of IronSource because it's truly a growth platform that a developer of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on to ironsource.com, that's ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Thanks. Folks, most mobile advertisers are increasingly aware of the dangers of app install fraud. In fact, global financial exposure to app install fraud in the first half of 2020 was $1.6 billion. And even though the mobile ad industry has grown exponentially to defend itself properly against ad fraud, the potential amount of damage is still extremely high and fraudsters will always want a piece of that pie. Now, fraud methods are constantly evolving and adapting to solutions in the market. Still, staying protected and applying sophisticated anti-fraud solutions are very much a necessity for all marketers. As you all know, our good partner AppSlyer offers super robust fraud protection, making sure you're not paying for that bogus traffic. AppSlyer is also perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile a true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive that marketing success. And listen, it's not only us at here at Deconstructor of Fun raving about apps, Liar, Playrix, Tencent, Playtica, Square Enix, Huge Games, all of these companies and many more are using Apps Liar to boost their business. So go to appsflyer.com and get yourself attribution and fraud protection you can trust. Welcome everybody. Today we are going to be talking to the studio leads for a relatively small but ambitious and experienced casual puzzle game studio called Genjoy based out of Seville, Spain. And just to give you listeners a little background on the studio before we begin, Genjoy belongs to the leading Spanish mobile gaming group, Genera Games, which was founded in 2002. The founding, couple, uh, the founding couple, couple, Jose Miguel and Maria Jesus, have succeeded and scaled the company without ever having received any outside investment. While Genera started out as a developer of mobile content, it pivoted toward mobile gaming when in 2013, Disney hired the company to make a match three game based on then unknown new Nordic Snow Princess IP, which of course is Disney's super successful game, Frozen Freefall, now published by Jam City, but still developed and operated by Genera Games. The Frozen Freefall project was the initial seed in the creation of the studio our guest today lead called Genjoy. So today we'll be talking more specifically about one, strategy and product. What kind of strategy and what kind of product differentiation does Genjoy employ to compete against the big guys? Two, marketing. We've heard stories about how the big guys have a huge marketing advantage, or do they? Let's dive deeper and find out how Genjoy competes on a marketing basis. And three, technology infrastructure. There are lots of rumors and stories of a massive infrastructure technology investment by companies like King, especially around machine learning and AI applied to level creation, design, balancing, things that, like that. What are the technology investments Genjoy will be making to compete? And again, to walk us through all this and more are the three key leads from Genjoy. 
Uh, we've got Alejandro Moreno, Pablo Benitez, and Jesus Spartus. Guys, I thought we could start just by having you guys give a brief introduction of who you are and what you do at Genjoy. I'm Ale Moreno. I'm leading the studio with uh, my friends, uh, Jesus and Pablo. Yeah, I'm in charge of the analytics, QA, um, some side of the, of the studio. And yeah, well, I was working with uh, for Genera for seven years or, since, uh, or so. And then I moved to King, to King Barcelona. I was, I was part of the production team, production team of uh, Bubble Witch uh, Saga 3 and so on. And then I moved back to, to Genera, Genjoy, to work with uh, these guys uh, to launch uh, Tuscany Villa. Yeah. And I'm Pablo Benitez. I've been with Genera since, I believe it's now 13 years. And I started as a junior programmer and I grew with the, with the industry and with the company. A lot of challenges in the past. Uh, and now like three years and a half or so, I joined Jesus and Alejandro to start this new venture of uh, Genjoy with my friends here that we, we have been working for so long together and we wanted to do something. Uh, it's really special. So that's where we... Uh, right now, and, and I'm in charge of uh, the business side of, uh, of the studio, more focused on the, the financial, uh, watching where we put our money to make <laughs> it you know, wisely, our investments. And also I work hand by hand with our CMO uh, to run the operations in the marketing side, really important for us. And also I'm in charge of uh, our second game that will probably, you will be able to see them in, in 2021, hopefully. Great. Okay, and I'm Jesus Bartus, the third musketeer of Genjoy. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I joined the company Genera also six months later than Pablo, so I made the, the 13 years also. During that time, I, I started as a, as a developer too, and we jumped from apps to, to kids books and then making games that is what we're doing like for the last seven years or something. Uh, I'm working on a lot of Disney products on that time, Frozen Freefall, Maleficent Freefall, and other titles. And last three years, as Pablo and Alex said, we started the JJ idea of creating our own products. And our first one was, was Tuscany Villa, that is the one that we are launching right now. And then more on the product side, and I'm working a lot of uh, the roadmap things and, and next things to do in the, in the project. Okay, great. So maybe just kind of diving right into a lot of the questions because I've got a lot of questions that I'm definitely very interested to hear your responses about. But first, I thought we could start with strategy. So Match3, as we all know, is in, you know, incredibly huge and big market, but also super competitive. So maybe we could start with that. How do you guys view the competitive landscape, especially with respect to some of these bigger players like Playrix and King? What kind of strategy are you guys employing to compete against them? Okay, right now, as you said, um, mastery and, and puzzle and category is like a, a huge category with a lot of big players there. And, and we are seeing also like a lot of companies are moving there too. Like other players that are not in casual are moving to casual and things like that. So it's going bigger and bigger. Yes. But it's true that it's one of the most important categories on the store. And it's a category that is always kind of growing with the time. So we believe that it's a pretty interesting market, but as you said, uh, has a pretty high competitive range of things that if you go there, you need to be prepared basically for that. So for us, uh, for competing there, uh, we have a lot of experience previous on our company doing my street titles and everything, but we know that if we are going to start with a new idea here or something, 
we need to do quality work as much as we can. And we need to do quality in every area of the product. Not, not having uh, things like having a brand or something with you can help, but it's not the solution. You need to do quality on the design, quality on, on, on the live ops, on everything that you prepare for the title. So we have pretty clear that if we are going to go here, we need to create a product that people want to play, basically, and we need to create a product that stands for itself. Uh, so we try to do our best in every area, going from design, tech, analytics, and everything, and use our own knowledge to create, do something that can really compete. So also one of the things that we have in our strategy since the beginning was if we go in this path, uh, we also, even if we believe that we, we are doing quality work, uh, we need to test things as soon as we can. So we are sure that we are going in the right path because uh, right now you can believe on numbers, but you need to test with real users to see that everything is going in the, in the way. So we wanted to be fast on that and not doing like high production times without knowing what the users are going to see uh, about our product. And as soon as we get real data of people playing and things like that, improve, iterate and do it again until we reach the numbers we want. So for us in our strategy, one of our key points was retention. And we always were thinking about retention. We need something that people need to play and want to play and, and was our, our key metric to accomplish. And we were pretty exigent with that numbers since the beginning and focus on every retention and, and seven day retention and things like that. So we can have something that can really compete there due to the market right now, and how everything is going. Right. So it sounds like what you're saying is that given match three is a, you know, pretty competitive space, it's a mature market. Um, but fortunately you guys have a lot of experience both in the space yep. and having worked at some of the top companies like King, but really it's about, quality in, in terms of the execution. That's, that's how you guys are going to compete. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then yeah, we, think, hmm? we think quality, quality is a must if you want to enter here because uh, all the companies are doing great things there. So you, if you want to compete, you need to be one of them in that quality. So if we were to think about some of the subgenres, I think that given how mature Max 3 is, we're seeing a lot of different kind of subgenres that have evolved from like the original Candy Crush kind of linear progression based match three model to things like light RPGs like Seriously to gotcha RPGs like Puzzle and Dragons to builders like the Playrix games. So for you guys, how did you view the different kinds of subgenres in match three? And then how did you kind of pick where you wanted to play within match three? Okay. This is, that is a great discussion because uh, we saw how the market evolved in front of us. Uh, because when we started on March 3, we started when the Saga games were working. So Frozen Freefall, that was one of the titles that we worked in, was a Saga game at the beginning. Uh, it's true that it's pretty, pretty interesting what is happening in the March 3 space. Uh, we believe that March 3 is something that fit great for mobile. So it's a core mechanic that is pretty good for mobile and that's the reason why so many iterations of it working. Uh, also match three only talking about the match three puzzles and everything uh, are deep and have a lot of space for innovation. So that's why another reason a lot of titles are coming because they improve the rules, they improve the, the puzzles and things to do. And also in the monetization side and balancing, uh, as far as we know, uh, match three can find a good balance between uh, putting some difficulty to the player, but feels uh, fair to them. So 
it's kind of, uh, if you know the tricks and the things to do, it's kind of good for, for getting a monetization point from it. So that's why we think it's a genre that is there and is going to be there for more time because in the puzzle, the core of the game works pretty well for doing new things or ideas. The other interesting thing, and it's the most interesting thing, is the meta evolution. What you said that we take that that core gameplay that works and put another thing over it, and that started with the casual things like only social things, or going to the hardcore ones, or or even resource management or city builders or things like that. And it's true that we even did that on Frozen Freefall at some point. We added a layer of building over the game that worked pretty well. And for us, it was like a eye-opening of, okay, you can't do that on a, on a game with so many years. What happens if you do it in a new game or something like that? So for us, uh, we believe that right now, even how the market it is, there are options to find new combination of Match 3 Plus, something that can be interesting for players. Because Match 3, as I said, work pretty well for mobile sessions and everything, and people like to play a lot of, uh, a, a big fan base of that. So. For us, uh, we decided to go in the narrative building side because uh, our team was uh, accommodated to do a lot of content during these years. And content is a main thing that you should do well if you go to the building side or something. So for us, was one of our strengths to, to do that. Um, and also the branded product we did help us a lot for, for doing that. And uh, for uh, selecting our specific approach to, to go with that, uh, we created a team of people that know how to work on that kind of project first, small team with talented uh, and, and go to, that can go do fast prototypes of the idea because we wanted to test it as soon as we can. Uh, and also, as I said before, I, we wanted to reach users as soon as possible to be sure that the idea is working. Uh, and we create a concept that we call it a minimum awesome products that were builds that the player feels as complete, but for us it's only a shell showing what we want until the level we want. So they can play levels, uh, maybe they think that they have 100 levels, but we only have uh, 30 or something, but the, the game itself shows as complete. So that gives us the opportunity of uh, measure retention data and things like that without entering or dipping on the store or other things like that. And iterate, iterate, iterate a lot. Nice. And then our second problem was the theme. What, what is the theme that we want to do this building or narrative game? Yeah. Uh, so we made a lot of market research. We put ideas, we selected, we did brainstorm sessions. We let people time to decide or, or, or what to do. Uh, we thought a lot of, about if we are going a deco game or something, should be something that is rich on areas to decorate and, and was on one of our, of our maximum goals to achieve. Uh, so at the end, we ended with two big candidates. We were thinking about going in the food things with restaurants or something, or going to the Odell space. And we select Odell because even we did some split metrics tests with fake profiles to measure the differences and things like that. For us, uh, the Odell setting was the best for creating stories around it. So if we're going to do a narrative game, we need a place for doing stories. And Odell is, is great because we have guests that can visit the, the player. And we also have a lot of ideas of places to fix and offers variety. And for us, it was like a clear winner of creating content in, in long term, in years or something like that. So that's why we, how we selected that specific theme for this game. Got it. So it sounds like the way that you arrived on this, and we're basically talking about Tuscany Village, right? Is that yeah. you guys 
you based upon your experience, based upon what you guys were strong at, then you you decided, okay, this is the kind of game that you wanted to make. Then you tested a bunch of different concepts, and then based upon you know which concept can allow you guys to fulfill the narrative stuff as well as what tested the best. That's how you guys kind of zeroed in on the specific game concept. And then, like, how did you guys think about? You know, uh, one big question that a lot of game studios have is like the amount of differentiation that they put into the game. Yep. So what, how would you guys think about, do we just make a really solid quality product that fits an existing model? Do you go for that a little bit of additional plus one, or do you try and add a lot of additional changes and new things to make the game more unique? How did you guys think about that aspect of the game design? Yeah, yeah, that's another important point because yeah, you are going to do a new game for the store. What are the differences that the new game puts over the other ones and everything? Uh, it's true that I'm being honest. Uh, we tried different things before Tuscany and we tried different prototypes and we tried different ideas outside of doing a match three narrative game. And we went wild on that concept uh, and we failed. It's true that it's not bad to admit it. <laughs> we failed and we learned. Uh, what, what we learned is uh, at some point, if, if you are doing something that is 90% uh, new or 70% or new, uh, the first problem you have is you need to make something that is fun, that is not easy. It's not easy, it's pretty, pretty difficult, but okay, you made something that is fun. You have something that people like to play. So we have even some concepts that we felt that are fun and things like that, so pass it at the stage. You find another two big problems that for us that are, okay, you need to find a way of monetizing it that can take a long time until you put it live and you see data or see whatever. And also you need to find a way of maintaining it in the long term. So maybe you create a good set of new rules of something, but doesn't scale with the time or, or have problems in the long term or something like that. So for us, uh, after that uh, efforts we did, uh, we went a step back and said, okay, let's do the other way. Let's do something that uh, we know how to do. We take the advantages of the strengths of the team we have and, and check what we are good for. Uh, and in that case, for us, the, the going again, we have a, a people that know how to make puzzle games. Uh, we know how to balance them. We know how to level design and things like that. Uh, we have for the other side an ability of content creation. Uh, we know how to do characters and things like that. So, uh, and we know how to do live ops over that kind of games. So mixing everything, we have like, okay, we have narrative and we have a building as two options that we can select because both fits for that. Uh, we went for narrative because also we believe that narrative has a pretty strong potential of uh, attachment with the player. And if we do it well, we can have something that is even more interesting than only building. We like building a lot and, and resource management and things like that. But we believe that narrative could be could fit better for for this time. So once we have decided all of this, uh, we started to look on the store, thinking, of, okay, how many narrative games with Deco we have in the range of to top fifty to one hundred fifty grossing? Because we wanted to point on that direction. Because pointing higher, we know that is the high UA expensive markets uh, and things like that. So we pointed in on a more real scenario for us that would be totally profitable at some point. And we are even competing with big ones in that range. Uh, and we found that we have a really possibility there of doing something. So for us was, okay, everything is kind of fits. 
so uh, going again, uh, one of our, if our strengths are, we can do the content, the mastery and everything. One of our weaknesses was that we never made a narrative game. So uh, what we did was, okay, let's take the setup that helps more for creating narrative. That was the, the, the other thing at that point. And also we put a lot of concern on that and we focus a lot, a lot on that. So knowing that is something that we never did, we put a lot of effort on doing as as well as as much well as we can. So uh, I think that kind of worked also because we put so many concerns of that that the game has a, a better narrative because of that, because people were concerned about failing on that. So we put a lot of, of, of effort. And once everything was decided, we started with the team separating one for the match three and, and working on the mechanics, core mechanics, what we're going to change, what is different. Because we even believe that we are doing a match three game, we need to change rules and do things different so the game feels uh, with some novelty. Uh, and in the other side with the story, what things want to add different and things like that. And then we started with what our green light process is. And, and as I said before, we entered on releasing as soon as we can, measuring early retention data, moving from day one to day seven until we didn't accomplish one step, we didn't go to the next one. And then focusing on the latest steps on LTV, day 30 retention uh, and things like that. So at the end, a lot of iteration, a lot of hard work and, and try to find differences from other products, taking our strengths as the, as the main thing to Right, and Jesus, you, you had mentioned your, your green light process and just for the audience, yeah. could, could you actually describe what that actually looks like in terms of milestones and checkpoints? So for, for okay. you- Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right now our, our green light process, uh, if we go to the first, first stage of our green light process, it uh, starts with an idea that we, we can put several ideas in, in different parts of whatever we think is better. And then we try that ideas with fake profiles on the store and we use split metrics and test a full profile with the, uh, with the, the screenshots faking the game. That gives us a clue of uh, how percentage of conversion we have is we are far enough of what we think is a, a good concept or not, but it's only for measuring that we are not doing something that people doesn't like directly. Uh, so when we found a concept that works and we think that works, we started what I called before MAPs that are these small versions of the game that looks like finish it for the user, but for us it's only a shell of what we want to, sh we want to show. So for example, if we are, our first one measures day one retention and have enough content to play one or two days. And for us, the important thing is, okay, we need to retain almost certain number of people from day zero to day one. If we don't have that at least, people has no interest on in this game. Then we expanded it to day seven. Uh, until day seven, we are not talking about anything related to money. We are talking only about retention because we think it's sure. the thing that your, need, your game need to stand out in that time. And then our next step is to work on day 30 long-term uh, LTVs and things like that. That is the longer part of the game during, during the, the process, sorry. So in that part that we are talking about LTV and things like that is when we uh, rework on all parts of the game and starting to do the pre-production of the game because everything is starting to know that it's something to, to work. But if one step fails, uh, we, we give uh, the project an opportunity, two, three opportunities to iterate. And if we iterate and improve numbers, we continue. But if we iterate and doesn't get anything better, we should, con uh, we should think about canceling the project or move to another thing and things like that. And also, 
one important thing is we focus on doing during all that stages big changes. We are not focusing on small changes. If something doesn't work, we need to do a big change to, to make it work. Or if we introduce something, so it will be something uh, big enough to deserve in that moment to be introduced. So we focus a lot on things that drive numbers during that process. And, you know, across the industry, we hear different sort of cancellation rates through green light. So at Supercell, it might be really high. It might be, you know, 10 failures to one success. <laughs> at Blizzard, they say it's very low. It's something like more like 50%, so one to one. So for you guys, like how many projects or how many concepts failed before getting through the green light? Well, that, I don't know, I can, Pablo, I how can many answer that can we say? Because I was responsible <laughs> of many of them. <laughs> I, I'm proud to be the, the most, the, the one that failed the most. Um, probably 15, 15 wow. or okay. different concepts we tried before, you know. They were very Probably's small, as, as Jesus said. And right. those were prototypes, you know. Those are okay. the ones that passed the, the great light to prototypes. Ideas and concepts were way way higher or 50 or or, or more you know they're very creative creating new ideas in, in that stage and then the, the iterations were smaller at the beginning no? the ideas and concepts were very very quickly uh, right. then the prototypes maybe three four weeks to prototype then our map and our minimum also product could take us two months or, or so to to be shown to the to the players got it Okay, so I thought we could like switch to marketing and maybe the big elephant in the room, like we hear, we're hearing about some of these big game companies with these massive budgets. And in fact, there was a point last year where Glue Mobile, even on one of their investor calls, talked about how they had to scale back marketing because two companies, basically Playrix and you know the Matching Mansion guys had like gotten into an arms race over UA. So I guess, first question, given how competitive the genre you're going in from a marketing perspective, how well can small companies compete on a marketing basis against the big guys? What, what do you guys think? Well, uh, I think that at least we can find our space, you know. Uh, people play several games every day and the switching cost is uh, very low, are very low. So they have several games that they like you know maybe they have the first option the second one the third one so you can be always one of one of those you know if you create something good uh, and new why, why not no and and once you're there you know maybe right now we are not a big competitor for for the big ones you know like hey, player x and king but once you're there if you do the things right and you keep improving as jesus was mentioning you know with the live ops getting better in analytics in ua and everything you, you can start to steal some market share, I, I believe, you know, getting better, increasing your profitability, you are able to scale um, slowly but steady. You can become a, a competitor for, for, the, for the big ones, you know, uh, and be profitable there. For example, you saw, you know, four years ago when Playrix came in, you know, and now is the leader who would have thought about that, you know, having King that, that position and, and even the Candy Crush franchise is going really uh, good still, you know, they are solid performance still. And other games like Lily's Garden uh, are new incumbents and are performing really well, you know, and stealing some market share and more market share in there. So I think that we can do it. 
So from a, maybe from a, the perspective of budget, what kind of a budget is required to compete against some of these bigger guys? Or what is your specific marketing approach so that you can minimize the amount of budget that you would need to compete against those guys? You know, it's tough, you know, especially in the narrative uh, plus builder games, uh, you need a lot of production in there. So there's a lot of uh, early investment in, in that game. You need to pour, put a lot of uh, effort in creating the quality that Jesus was mentioning. And also when you go live ops, you, you don't reduce the, the team. You, you know, we are doing game as a service, so we need to give players more content, more quality. And if you want to scale, you need to, to be better at what you're doing. So. The more you invest in, in the game at the beginning, you know, the more you need to invest on, on marketing. You know? So we ended up, with, right now, I believe that we are investing four times more in marketing, especially in the USA side, than in the production of the game. You know? Oh, wow. Okay. So, so yeah. pretty significant budget. Mm -hmm. and yeah, then it is. Got it. And Jesus talked about a lot of testing on the product side during soft launch and concept testing and things like that. But on the marketing side, how did you guys think about testing in terms of, you know, how you approach marketing or scaling spend? What kinds of testing did you do for, for marketing? At the beginning, we helped the product, as Jesus said, you know, with uh, some customer research, with uh, fake profiles, but, but also, you know, trying to, to get insights from, from the customers of what, what they liked. And we also took the chance, since we are doing all, all the tests that we did with the MAP, we, we tried to do with real players. So we started to test some creativities, try different things, you know, video ads, statics with different concepts to see which ones were converting better. Um, and in the soft launch is where we did the, the biggest effort in that side. You know, we tried to outsource a lot of creativities to widen our options of creatives uh, and learn what are the, the trends or the concepts that were, you know, working better. Always looking to, to improve the conversion of, of the creatives, but also taking care of the retention. You know, if you show something that is not close to what the people see in the game, maybe it doesn't perform as good as, as, as it could, you know? So you, you need to find that perfect balance. At the end, it's a matter of, of ROAS. So at the beginning, we tried, we tested only the, um, the conversion because we, we were focusing on retention. But once we put monetization inside, it was a balance of, you know, uh, having great LTVs, uh, getting high quality users inside the game, you know, uh, and testing that different different concepts to to bring people what, what about again. the marketing team itself how did you view scaling up the marketing team and what kinds of people do you have on the marketing team to to you know market against your game well regarding the team um we we had a small team uh, multi multidisciplinary uh inside that were able to cover the the soft launch at the beginning but we needed a, a, a leader for that we wanted to keep it flexible you know uh, that's, that's when uh, Luis de la Camara joined us, our CMO, and yeah. that has a strong background in that. And with that core, very flexible because they know everything about UA, CRM, customer support, all things that involve marketing. When we approached the, the launch and we wanted to scale, we decided to, to outsource uh, other, you know, the, the activities that, that we lack the, the experience, you know, for example, in the UI buying and in the creative side, we, we partnered with uh, consumer acquisition and Naptic, 
outdoor uh, two agencies that are working closely with us. You know, they are third parties, but they are like an extension of our team. We have yeah. really great communications yeah. with them because if if everything is going well for us, it's going to be well for them. You know, so yeah. it's and, and we focus on what we do best, which is uh, right. creating a high quality product. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it probably helps that. I, I think consumer acquisition also worked on the firecraft stuff as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it helps with some. Uh, well, it's insights, yeah. you know, that you can see everywhere. You know. Okay, great. And so maybe switching now to technology infrastructure and, you know, one of the, I guess, one of the big rumors in the industry is about just how much technology infrastructure big companies like King are bringing to, to bear to give you competitive advantage. So how are you guys viewing the technology infrastructure to give you, your studio competitive advantage in, in Match 3? Okay. Like, what, what kind of technology should we be thinking about, I, I guess, more specifically? Okay, okay, I'll jump uh, to that. Okay, so as uh, Pablo said and Jesus said, the, the current market, it's a bit saturated, I will say. So first of all, you have to define uh, what is your objective and where you want to compete, no? As Jesus said, if you want to compete on the uh, first 50 of the crossing or the, the next league, you have to define where you want to, to be. Yeah. Uh, as you have defined that, I think you have to um, Kind of, okay, so uh, let's try to have a strategy between uh, external services and in-house development. And for us, as we learn, as we have been, as Jesus said at the beginning, as we have been uh, working with uh, the big publishers like Disney and so on as a developer. So uh, from for Tuscanibile, we choose the, the option of, okay, so let's use a mix between the in-house uh, tool, tooling and in the external services. So um, we kind of like, uh, okay, so we take what is built outside of uh, our, our company, we take it, we buy, for example, we, we use Firebase, we use Delta DNA as a data warehouse, we use uh, different type of uh, tooling, and we say, we'll, we, let's take them, let's use them, use them, let's try to learn from them, and at some point, maybe in the close future, uh, we can start building it in-house. But it's, it depends a lot on the on where you want to be and the risk that you want to take. But it's true that for companies like King or Predict or so on, they want to have everything in-house. But uh, for us, for as it's a learning process and it's a iterative process and a long process to to scale on the top grossing. We believe yeah. that to have a mixed strategy is the best option. So we choose that. Yeah. And just. In thinking about where to deploy investment for technology infrastructure, in terms of whether it's in the development process, in terms of live ops tools, in terms of marketing, how are you trying to determine how much to invest in you know, specific types of tools for those three different areas? Yeah, good question. <laughs> yeah, in terms of uh, dev, poor dev, we will say, and live ops, if we, we try to try to balance that fight, uh, we believe that it depends a lot on the maturation phase of the game. For example, Tuscanibila, it's uh, launching. We launched it on the 14th of April. So it's, it's kind of launching. So now it's the moment, has, until now, has been the moment to build features, to uh, test everything, to, to be, re be ready for, for, for the launch uh, date and everything. So now I think it's a moment to shift a bit to, the, to live ops. We have some... Uh, some tools like the level balancing dashboard to, to balance the levels and 
And now it's the moment to start, okay, so let's build a CRM tool. Let's build a, a, a way to deliver content to the player. So now it's the moment to shift a bit. So now I will say that we are like kind of, in terms of effort, we are 90% against 10% in favor of uh, DevTools um, in terms of Dev. But our idea is at the end of the, of the year, uh, we will be like uh, 70, 30 or something like that. So it, that is the idea. And in terms of product and marketing, it's a bit different because uh, Pablo, Jesus, and, and myself, and the whole studio, and uh, Luis in, in that side, we believe that the product and market marketing, as Pablo said, it's kind of the, we need to like collaborate a lot. We love to collaborate. We have a lot of initiative to, to have uh, feedback in marketing, the campaigns, to, or the quality of the user, feedback on the roadmap from, from uh, the, the game team. So we have a lot of collaboration between both sides. So, um, I will say that the, if, if we talk about the number of people, it's quite, it's, there are a lot of people working on, on investing on the on the game. But if we talk about money, as uh, Pablo said, we are investing a lot on the marketing side. So in terms of tools, I will say that the, um, in product, we have a lot of effort, but in marketing, we are shifting as well. So it's kind of the same in terms of dev and live, to, live, to, live tools uh, with marketing and, and the product. So we are shifting to more support in analytics for sure. Uh, to the marketing team, yeah. Okay, so, okay, and maybe taking a more specific example, because I think the big rumor in the industry is that King has made this massive, again, rumor that they've made a massive investment in terms of machine learning and AI for like content creation, optimization, you know, like uh, live, like balancing and tuning, things like that, yeah. you know, and then, and then, you know, there's mixed messages about, how much of that is real, how much of it delivers competitive advantage. So like in terms of specific technology investments you guys are making, can you speak to whether that is an area for you guys or whether there's a, another specific area that you guys are investing in? Yeah, uh, it's, we are we're investing a lot of in the product and we are investing a lot of, for example, on the Matri, uh, the logic engine, we have investing a lot on that. We are in, in some uh, functions, like for example, the dynamic difficulty we have, the segmentation by the player, this dynamic store that we have on the offer. So we have been working a lot of on the, how to deliver the content to the players. So, uh, and the machine learning is the next area that we want to, to be focused on, on the next and the close future, yeah. Yeah, but for the for the, you guys for the more around optimization, like dynamic bouncing, and then on payment optimization, like offers and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay. In, terms of, in terms of the machine learning and AI optimization, I know that as you said, Playrix and a lot of big companies, big players are doing a great effort on the on the machine learning side, how to create content by by some some algorithm. But uh, we believe that and the next thing that we want to move, as I said, the machine learning uh, for the optimization of the levels and taking like, uh, say, let's uh, forget about the average user and let's try to uh, have different cluster of type of user and let's try to create different experience based on, on the different type of player instead of one average player uh, only, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. What, what, what we don't believe uh, is that a machine needs to create the experience for the player. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the levels are created, are handcrafted. You know, the strategy, the mechanics, all it's from our level designers. Uh, but it's true that machine learning is helping already to dynamically balance our levels to the exact point, And it will help with that kind of optimizations. But the core of the game needs to be done by 
we believe there needs to be that many people. You know? yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we see, we'll see. Maybe in, uh, in one month or two months, we see a huge change on the industry. But I don't know. Uh, the thing of optimization is the key right now. Yeah. yeah. Okay, guys. So we've talked product strategy, we've talked marketing, we've talked technology. Is there any other area I'm missing? So when we're talking about you guys as a smaller studio competing against these like billion dollar giants, what are the other things that we should be thinking about in terms of for you guys as kind of David versus Goliath to compete against those guys? <laughs> yeah, for me, it's the for me one thing, and for us, for for Pablo and uh, Jesus and myself. Uh, one thing that is key and it's really important is the the team and the culture and yeah. the talent of the people and and to have passion in the studio and right. and it's true that the, our way of uh, managing the studio or leading the studio we can say is to share responsibility we have a kind of flat structure so we love to to be hands-on all of us we love to to be hands-on i've been running some queries before the the scene so we can we can do it so we love to work with uh, with everyone and we work on any anything that we can we can have so i would say that that it's really important to have the culture to have the proper team and to have like a good philosophy our philosophy is to enjoy working it's yeah. a part of our clean so we love to enjoy working and one thing that we, we really love is our location Sevilla Andalucía it's, it's really nice and we love that city and we love that our area we were born there so we love the the culture of this and the way of living of the of the city yeah so people so maybe we could actually if you don't mind uh, I, I like to dig into that a little bit more in terms of team and culture right yeah. so like what what do you think specifically and you know i actually i think so i agree with you but i'm saying like when we think about like the team that's working on candy crush which might be like a probably a huge team maybe like 150 people or or more but that doesn't necessarily mean they have a huge advantage right and we're talking about the rumor is that of those 150 there are a lot of leads you know you know what i'm saying so like um so can you guys speak to to how when you think about your team, when you think about your culture against that kind of a competition, what, what do you guys think about? How can you guys structure your team or structure your process or build your culture so that you can actually have an advantage against a more well-resourced company like that? Yeah, for me, as, as I say, it's the, it's the passion. For me, it's the responsibility sharing. We believe that everyone has a responsibility and we, kind of we don't believe on the leads uh, uh, hat so you are the lead so you have to take the, the decision we believe on the decision of the ideas of everyone and um, and the, the culture yeah so i believe our advantage is that is the is the people and this the people that we have in the studio and the, yeah. and, the passion. and the communication you know yeah. we we have great communication between each other and we try to be lean you know uh, being so big is really difficult to manage everything there's a lot of overhead of managing that. And in our teams, everyone is responsible for, for the success of, of, the, of the game. So, and that helps a lot with the, with the passion that Alejandro was, was mentioning. You know, it's part of our values you know, to, be, uh, to have fun with what we do, to create fun games. And to do that, we need to be small, you know, like, a, like a family. We've been friends for, I don't know, we were talking about 13 years, but, but I studied with Jesus. You know, I, I know him from 20 years University. ago. <laughs> so, so yeah, that, yeah, I think that it is a, a small competitive advantage that, that we have in there. 
Yeah, only for, for adding more on top of that, uh, it's true that having a medium size, because we are not small, because we are not four guys doing something, we are like 20 or something for a thing or more, but it's true that it has its advantages because of that, because you don't have medium layers, so you can move fast on decisions, you can do things faster, and we try to take advantage of that, really, because it's true that having that, uh, we can make a quick need to decide something or, or, or go fast with a decision. And it's true that our management also give us a lot of opportunity there for us because we have plenty of decisions that we can take from ourselves and, and do for making the product better and everything is totally on our hands. And, and the team take it as a responsibility for them. And my other thing that I want to point also that working for us is thinking on the team you have and the things that you can do with that team is a, a good point. If Take the strengths of your team uh, and think about what they are good for. Uh, and, and let them to do what they know what to do. So if you can take that advantage in your product, uh, you are making big steps of ambassing faster for, for getting results and, and great quality things and things like that. All right, guys. Well, that's all the questions that I have. Do you have a final message for our audience? Or maybe you could speak to any kinds of, if you're looking to hire, if anyone wants to reach out to you, how would they get in touch with you guys to, to, to join you guys? Uh, yeah, you can contact us in changeoy.com or LinkedIn and um, our message, uh, yeah, uh, we are looking for, for full stack devel developers, uh, 3D artists, so we have we are growing and we need to yeah. kind of um, keep being competitive, competitive. So yeah, so my message, if you want to join the <laughs> winning team, come to us. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. As Alex said, we are we are in a in a growing stage, and we want to to hire more people to continue with this title and our next ideas and projects. So, yeah, follow us on Enjoy or, or or LinkedIn to to contact us. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. Um, there you have it. The three leads from Genjoy working on their game Tuscany Village. So check that out as well. Uh, thanks a lot for your time, guys. It was great to talk to you today. Thank yeah, you very thank much. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you, Professor. Bye.